You're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, serving the latest news in sci-fi multimedia. And now, your hosts, Scott, Miles, and Anna. Your table is ready. Live long and prosper. This is the captain. We have a little problem with our entry sequence, so we may experience some slight turbulence and then explode. I got a bad feeling about this. Walter, put the cow away, would you? What is this place? It's a freak show. Hello, welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. This is episode 198B. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. In fact, I'm the only host here tonight. We originally were going to release the Jim Crutt interview as a part of episode 198A, but the episode ended up running about an hour long, and rather than give you two hours of, of a podcast, we decided to split it into an episode 198A and 198B. And by we, I mean myself, because I was editing it down and said, there's no way we're going to fit all this in one episode. So tonight we're going to bring you an interview that Miles M., David Moulton, and I did with Jim Crutt at the Farpoint Convention. Who is Jim Crutt? Well, you may not recognize a name, but those of you that saw Dawn in the Dead will certainly recognize his role. He played the helicopter zombie. You know, the infamous one where he's like lurching toward the uh, guy in the helicopter and the guy is desperately trying to start the helicopter and the blades start rotating and phew, off goes his head. He was the infamous helicopter zombie. We sit down at Farpoint over breakfast, and so you might hear some dishes clanking in the background, and had a phenomenal interview of him talking about how he kind of landed that role, his relationship with the people in that role, and what that's done to his career, and some of his interests, and everything that, that has happened since then. So you're going to hear a lot of con noise, but that's just kind of the breaks of interviewing at a convention, and especially over breakfast. If you want to own a piece of zombie history, we have a signed print from Jim Crutt of him as the helicopter zombie that we are giving away on the show, along with a Melissa McBride who plays Carol on Walking Dead. We are going to give away those prints on the show on our 200th episode. If you haven't done so, please jump to our webpage and check out the links for the 200th episode giveaways. We are giving tons of stuff away, and we list the requirements there as for how you can earn some of these awesome prizes. So please check it out. I believe that's about it. So without further ado, enjoy our interview with Jim Crutt. Ladies and gentlemen, I know many of you are fans of zombie movies. We are delighted to know that we're having breakfast with a zombie. Well, let me reiterate that. We're having breakfast with a gentleman who had a very iconic role in classic horror zombie movie, The Dawn of the Dead. We have with us today Mr. Jim Crutt. Mr. Crutt, welcome and thank you for taking time to talk with us in the Sci-Fi Diner Club podcast. Thank you very much. And, uh, 
I'll, I'll, I'll try to stay to my own plate and not bite you guys. Well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just telling some yesterday. Maybe you know you had ulterior motives for offering me some of your pizza the other day. Yeah, you never know. So you got to provide for that future stock. So. Right, right. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so, can you tell us from the beginning how you got your role in Dawn of the Dead? I'm sure you've told the story a million times before. But let me let me think. I have to go back in the dark. Uh, you haven't told people about the dark. <laughs> <laughs> told them? No. Well, actually, because I'd gone to school in Pittsburgh and uh, college, Point Park University, Tom Savini and I, who did all the makeup and special effects for Dawn, oh. he and I were classmates. And uh, although the university school had its Pittsburgh Playhouse for the acting students. A lot of uh, others of us who were interested in theater, but not as a, you know, uh, an academic pursuit, mm-hmm. we formed our own theater company in, in the college. And uh, so Tom and I did several plays together at that point. After college, uh, we each went different ways into the army. And he went in the army, he, I went in the army. We both were in Vietnam, uh, came back, I guess he was in Georgia for a while. I came back, uh, I, I went to Pittsburgh, but uh, wanted to see some friends there and uh, decided to stay, ran into Tom. We got reconnected and uh, he was teaching a makeup and special effects class at Carnegie Mellon and uh, introduced me to his class as the person who had stabbed him in the stomach. Because that was a little accident incident from one of our theatrical productions. So you actually stabbed him. Nice. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so maybe we, we should be stopping you to tell us that story a little bit about how that happened before um, we go on. There's a two-person play by Edward Albee called Zeus, The Zoo Story. Okay. Pretty straight character, like Central Park, sitting on a bench. Minding his own business, along comes a crazy guy. I've been to the zoo. I didn't do this. That sort of provokes him and prompts him into a fight. Tries to, this guy doesn't want to fight. He says, the crazy guy pulls a switchblade. Says, no, here, uh, you take this. That'll make it even. The guy picks up and says, I don't want to. And the other guy, the crazy guy, runs right into him and impales himself on the night. I guess you could call it like death by stranger. Right. Well, we did this performance maybe two or three times, and we're out in the hallway waiting to go on. Just Tom and I, it's a two-person play. Tom says, Jim, I don't think that people in the back can see the switchblades that we've been using. So I brought another one. And it's a big jackknife sort of thing, you know, blade about two and a half, three inches wide. And he said, when you hold that up, you know, you, you wave that, people in the back are definitely going to see it. I said, Tom, I'm going to tell you something. It's a very serious scene. Now, the whole gag here is uh, the way the effect is done. It's a real blade. He throws it on the ground. You hear it. There's no rubber plastic to it. The idea is he comes running, and as a matter of timing, at the last minute, I do a quick turn, and he gets the butt of the knife right That's how we ran it. That's how we rehearsed it. That's how we practiced it. Um, so let's try this. Oh, that's a dangerous thing. Anyway. <laughs> He says, well, let's go ahead and try it. He throws me the knife. I said, Tom, I don't think... And he starts running. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. And the blade is just a bit longer, a bit wider, and cuts across the stomach. Not quite an impalement, I think, but it was... (laughs) I know he looked down and said, there's blood. 
<laughs> oh, so I kind of got them patched up very quickly. And I don't know, went to scotch tape or team, you know, tissues or something like that. Just covered up. The director comes along and says, well, guys, is everything okay? You know, you ready to go on? He said, oh, yeah, everything's just fine. Everything's just fine. Tom did the show. Nobody ever knew. So that was kind of like being a trooper. Right, right. <laughs> no right. So Tom and I had gone back and just to say we sort of stuck together. Uh, <laughs> that's a joke. Uh, <laughs> Keep going, Jim. Uh, so anyway, he did this when he introduced me to his class at Carnegie Mellon. He said. Oh, and I want to introduce you to the guy who stabbed me in the stomach. <laughs> that was my introduction to the right. class. Nice. That was nice. That was right. clever. That's a fantastic story. But, uh, so Tom was living in Pittsburgh. I was living in Pittsburgh again. I was originally from there, but I was living there. And uh, I was in the Oakland section of the student, sort of student section of uh, Pittsburgh. And I, I saw Tom laughing, and he said, Jim, I've got a perfect role for you. He said, you know George Romero? He did Night of the Living Dead. I said, yeah, uh, everybody does Night of the Living Dead. He said, well, I got a really great role for you. He said, just perfect. And I said, well, you know, I, actually, I said, uh, I'm going to be in a movie in about five minutes. Because I was on my way to a movie. I think I was going to see Jaws or something like that. And he said, no, I'm serious. I, you know, I really have this role for you for this George Romero movie. And I said, all right, well, you know, give me a call. So I sort of... I wasn't cavalier, but I was in a hurry, and I gave him a call, and he said, you know, come on over to the house, which is where he had his workshop set up in the basement. Uh, he had a really great workshop, all sorts of artificial uh, hammers and things like that. He said, hey, what do you think of this? It looks great. Bam. So Tom was a, a great believer in a realistic look to everything that he worked on. Uh, from there, he did uh, the head casting. Oh, I said we did one yesterday here at Farpoint, which was a, kind of a life mask, a face casting, and that was with an alginate, which is kind of like the, the dental impression material that your dentist would use in your mouth. So it's soft, it's flexible, and he was only doing the front, that was yesterday. But in those days, those materials and a lot of the special effects kind of materials really didn't exist as such. Some people knew about them, but Tom also invented and experimented with a lot of materials. So you weren't quite sure what was going to happen or how things were going to go. It wasn't like, when you get your head cast, this is how it's going to go. Tom said, well, we're just going to have you breathe through this straw. And then he wrapped my head in plaster. Did first the back, and then he did the front separately, a separate cast. Uh, so you're breathing through this for about 20 minutes, half an hour. And, you know, as I say, yesterday you were, uh, you know, when you have somebody completely cast, covered in plaster and things like this, you uh, you talk to them and you know reassure them. And Tom said, hey, where did I put this? You know, I'll, I'll be back, you know. <laughs> so you Yeah. Anyway. And then Tom called about two days later and said, Jim, we've got to do it again. The plaster cracked. So people say, how long did it take to do this helicopter zombie effect? And he said, about two weeks to set it up. Because from those plaster casts, there was no alginate. It was like, you know, bald wig and uh, skull cap thing with... Uh, 
don't know, some sort of lubricant that keeps up the plastic from sticking. That's pretty much like a very, very solid material. But from that, then he cast the head. From the head, then he was able, on his own time, the wee hours, whatever, building up the grooves, the uh, other pieces that would go in for the tubes to go, for the blood tubes, that were embedded in the top piece. Uh, that was then configured with another piece that went on top. And that's the piece that you see flying off when the helicopter blade hits. And the way that was constructed, it was sort of like a dish shape that goes on top, but it was with the hair and everything. It was cut into chunks, so it would give that good chunky look to it. And that piece was then drawn together with monofilament fishing line, clear line. But it all stayed together, didn't fall up, it was really well put together, well anchored. And then for the scene where my character comes stumbling up onto the boxes, chasing, you know, not quite chasing, shambling after the guy who's refueling the helicopter, uh, stamps up on the boxes at that moment, off camera, attached to another piece of monofilament line. Somebody yanks that monofilament line, well, that comes off as a stream of chunks. So they all stayed together, which was very nice. <laughs> and then behind the boxes are two guys with hand pumps with the blood. And one of them is Tom, Tom Savini. So they're pumping furiously, and the blood goes spurting, spurt, spurted, spurt, And then the rest just became history. Right. You know, people say, wow, that, you, you must have known that was going to be a great moment. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> it, was, it was at the uh, Monroeville Airport. And you're talking about an airport that is a landing strip, maybe as wide as this room, maybe 30 feet, dirt, and a couple of little outbuildings. And, and there's nobody really else around except the crew and a few other actors. Uh, I had some friends who'd been in scenes at the mall, because I was working in theater in Pittsburgh. Right. I hadn't communicated to them or with them about what a zombie was supposed to do, what they look like, what did they, did they talk, did they sing, did they dance, what was it all about? So when I asked Tom for direction, I said, okay, so I'm, I'm one of these undead creatures, one of these zombies. He said, well, just be your best zombie. Okay. I grew up on horror movies. I knew I knew most of the horror movies. So you draw, you draw some from that. But then, you know, partway through that, you realize this might be the only time I ever get on camera. Right. <laughs> you just you put everything into it that you can possibly put into it, even though you're supposedly just walking. Everything from eyes to expression. Um, at the time, you know, thinking back ten years earlier, Night of the Living Dead, it was it was groundbreaking, and in some places shattering, because people looked at it differently than as than they do now then it was absolutely you know horrible it was it was uh, you were showing very visceral activities of, of the undead chewing on limbs and violence and all sorts of things going on and the idea was that if if you were associated with that kind of film or that director maybe that was that was going to be it on your career that might be the last film you make potentially uh, you might otherwise also get typecast into those kinds of films right i got to say that ain't all bad either. yeah it gives you some steady work right oh, yeah. so with, uh, with that said 
did the shoot, uh, went to the premiere in, in Pittsburgh for all the cast and the crew, and that was very exciting in, in the theater. And people were just all buzzing and just waiting to see if they're still on the screen and how they look on the screen. You know, most of us all for the first time on the big screen, and what, what it was like with the music, and actually to hear and see the whole story. Because you can get a script, and you can say, well, you're going here, you're going there, you're going to do this, and you're going to say that. The director might take advantage of situations, oh wow, let's move this over to there, <clears throat> let's cut that section out. So, until you see the final product, you might say, well, this thing is four hours long, we've got to, we got to you know, chop this down. You don't really know what the final story is going to be until you see it on the screen. So, we're all kind of keeping our fingers crossed and nervously uh, looking around until your scene comes up and says, I actually made it in the movie. Wow, cool. <laughs> and then you, you know, you kind of go back to other things you've been doing. And I was working in theater. After another year or so, uh, I'd gotten married and uh, left Pittsburgh. Worked uh, with some community theater for a while in Central Pennsylvania. Worked for a newspaper. Worked um, as an editor for a weekly newspaper, then I started working in Harrisburg for seven years, editing a magazine in Pennsylvania. So I, during some of that time, I just had to focus on, on the living and the family. Oh, yeah. And what was funny, while I was in Harrisburg, my wife, I didn't even have a copy of Gone of Dead. My wife had gone to a video store and jewel core or, or whatever it was at the time, long gone out of business, and she wanted to buy a copy of Dawn of the Dead for me as a Christmas present. I didn't know. After she gave it to me at Christmas, I said, well, this is really cool. You know, it's really cool. She said, I have to tell you that when I was checking out, the clerk said, oh, that's my favorite movie. And she happened to mention, well, my husband said, oh, no, 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 really? <laughs> and she said, yeah, but can I talk to him? Can I get in touch with him? She said, well, not until after Christmas, at least. <laughs> so he calls up and um, says, can I get together for, you know, just, just to meet you and talk with you for a little bit? And I said, yeah, you know, it's fine. You know, I set up a time. I'm going to go. Comes in with, you know, microphone, camera, tripod. And he does this like two hour interview. Uh, and he said, Do you know how this film has taken off? You know, with all the midnight showings all over the world, the languages it's been translated into, uh, the popularity it enjoys, the, the cult status that it has. And you as a figure in this movie. I said, Well, not really. <laughs> it wasn't something I said, oh, well, I have to follow this and just see how this, you know, this piece in this film is going to affect my life for the rest right. of the the rest of time. Well, fascinatingly, that was how many years ago? Uh, more than 20 years, let's say. And that's the last I'd heard of him until this past summer. I was doing Sci-Fi Valley Con in Altoona, and this young man comes up carrying a book that he had written, and he said, I don't know if you would remember me, but when I was living in Harrisburg, I came over to your house and interviewed you. Yeah, whatever happened. <laughs> it was just such a strange connection after all of those years to see right. somebody who had been, you know, such an avid fan come right. back and um, just, to, just to touch base. 
the book he'd written was about Rocky Horror Picture Show. He'd been following it in, in its various iterations all over the place. And so that's what the book was about. That was just such a cool thing. That is kind of a cool thing. How sometimes these little circles come back together. I hope that answers your first question. <laughs> 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 or second one. You should, uh, you should, should take some time to eat. Fresh <laughs> Do you want me to get you for nah, nah, No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. Watch, watch take a minute or two. Or... Okay, I'll well, sit and gush on you for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Some meat, yeah. Amazing, amazing how far the dawn, all the all the deads have come and gone, and and the the, the wide variety of people when you bring it up in a conversation that you don't expect those conversations to happen. Um, I, I, I was I mentioned to a friend of mine after I had met you at Infect Scranton. Um, I was at work and we were talking about all the different people who were there and the walking dead and I said, oh, and I met the helicopter zombie. And one of my senior VPs said, oh my God, I love that movie. I never had, 10 years I'm working there. He's never had a conversation with me in my life, except when we talked about that film and you. So it was really neat to have that connection with folks, with anybody, because it really does, it has hit a bunch of, a bunch of people. And I love that from all, every spectrum who really got into it. It really does draw a lot of different kinds of people together. You might say, "Well, who's the typical fan?" I've, I've seen, I've seen, you know, kids five, six, seven, eight, nine years old have seen the movie several times. I've seen uh, you name them, and I've seen them. Any character type, any stereotype, I've seen. They're all fans. There's just something, about, <clears throat> excuse me, about it that universally connects. And it's not just in the United States. I've done shows in, uh, in the UK and conventions in Germany. Just did one in, in November, past November. First time I went to Germany, there was a small group of people came in to the, the show, and they had yeah. black shirts and in red, zombie squad. <laughs> and they're zombie fans from all across Germany, and they had they all had these zombie squad shirts. It was so cool. <laughs> it's awesome that they would they would be so connected by that idea. You know, interesting. I have to mention too. We talked about Night of the Living Dead, and I was I was doing a panel and. Um, okay. Sorry. Right. <laughs> I was doing a, doing a panel. Thank you. And, uh, George Romero, Adrian Barbeau, Ken Free, and Bill Heinzman at the time. We were all on it. And there was this huge, it was a theater, theatrical, there wasn't a little meeting room, it was a theater where they had the Q&A. And somebody asked George Romero about, you know, what made him start thinking about zombies for Night of the Living Dead. And he, he reminded them, he never called them zombies. They were just the undead. So everything, all those other appellations that came along were sort of imposed by others. They're, now they're zombies because, okay, they're, they're zombies. So everybody goes back in time and says, those are zombies. Right. George never called them that. <laughs> wow. I never thought of that. You're right, though. What do you think is the driving force behind the whole zombie phenomenon that's going on right now? Well, as we like to say, a rising tide floats all boats. Of course, you had a remake of Dawn of the Dead. That was good for all of us. There have been a couple remakes of Night of the Living Dead. As a disclaimer, I have to say that I'll be in another one of those, which is coming up uh, this 
Halloween yeah, 2014, Night of the Living Dead Genesis, and so that's based to a great extent on the original Night of the Living Dead. Uh, so even though you had this core idea of undead coming back, it's been revisited. And that tends to identify or prompt a new generation of people who might just say, well, I don't know, let's go to the movies and whatever it is, if it's scary, let's go. Without necessarily a concept of it's good or bad or uh, I want to I go see a zombie movie particularly. So they go and then they say, I really like that. What, what else has this guy done? Or what else has that actor done? Uh, what else has that director done? And you find out, wow, there's a whole chain of films. And so they go back and they start revisiting them. Most of the fans uh, weren't born when the movie was made. This is the 35th anniversary for Dawn of the Day. And Most you, of you were the only one not for now. <laughs> <laughs> and someone might have just been crawling around. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, yeah. even from even from young kids like 10 11 year old kids who want to be film directors and people say yeah let's yeah yeah that's nice move up you know beat it son you bother me uh, I take them seriously because I've seen over a few years these young people who have an idea and an intensity about them and a whole different view of what we're doing and how things have been done and they want to write, they want to direct, they want to create, and it's not something that's, um, how can I say, a kiddie story kind of thing that they want to do. They want to seriously become talented filmmakers. So you, you can't discount any age, any ability. You, you can't really stereotype people in terms of what they can do or, or, or their intentions. It keeps coming back to there's something there that drives them. Why people are driven by zombies? Why they're driven by the undead? Are they walkers? You know, are they? Of course, you have the Walking Dead television series, and that's again rising tide for immensely popular. Yeah. Well, they tell people my ship when my ship came in, I was at the airport. <laughs> that's very true. Well, now you got involved also here. Um, you're, you're here at Farpoint because you're associated with ZCon. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on with you and working with Mike, Dr. D, and uh, Dodi and uh, ZCon? Well, I'd, I'd met them uh, some time ago and I knew about the project. We've uh, been to a couple of the same conventions and uh, I've always tried to support independent film. When somebody has an idea and they want to pursue it, I'd I just love to see people realize their own dreams. I've, I've had friends who never even got involved in theater, and now they're doing things on HBO. Just because you give people encouragement and you, you take them seriously and you try to support them along the way. Uh, Night of the Living Dead Genesis, same thing. People say, well, you must be getting big bucks for all this. Well, no. Independent films, you might not get anything. You probably are putting a lot more into it than you, you know, either financially might get out of it. Maybe it's uh, physically challenging or whatever. But you do it because you love to do it. And there are sometimes first-time conventions where people say, wow, I want to get a group of people together and have everybody in and then we'll just have a great time. And they don't maybe know quite what they're doing. And so a lot of the maybe established uh, 
actors and guests won't come. Well, to me, that's the same as an independent film, a first time or second time year convention. It's an opportunity for a lot of people to get experience, but also learn, and every location environment is different too. Um, I'm, what's the bumper sticker? Oh no, not another learning experience. <laughs> But sometimes you suffer through other people's mistakes, but you don't let that stop you. If, you. if you truly believe in what you're doing, you just keep on going and doing it to the best of your ability. What is your role with Zikon? Do you know? That's to be disclosed a little later today. Okay, oh, well, those are... Okay. <laughs> so we will find out deal. later on today. Very good. Mel Melissa McBride was here yesterday from Walking Dead. I said, so when are you, when are you coming back? On, when are you going to be back on the show? And she sort of turned away and then she said, I can't tell you that I won't be back. <laughs> that's telling us a lot. That is, that's one of those things. But we didn't hear, well, I have no idea what you're talking about. <clears throat> <laughs> Well, there are a lot of restrictions on them, too. Well, you know, that's another aspect, too. It's a hugely, overwhelmingly popular television series. The characters are identifiable. A lot of them go to conventions. And as a result, AMC, who has the product, tries to have some control and, and rein in on it. You can't have everybody going around, you know, doing the spoilers and then, oh, by the way, I'm going to be doing this and that. No. So they, they keep a very tight lid on things. They're good folks. Met a lot of them along the way. Known, known Greg Nicotero for a while. Uh, they're just good people. And uh, I just love to see them succeed. Yeah, absolutely. I saw you wearing your T-shirt of uh, your iconic role in Dawn of the Dead. Uh -huh. um, do you have a website? Are those T-shirts available? For, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. I, I had. I swear, somebody said you really ought to have a Dawn of the Dead T-shirt, you know, with your face on it. And I let somebody talk me into doing that. <laughs> and it really, people said that's really nice. You should have them for women too. And I said, well, women can wear them. No, there's a different style and a different cut, so you should have the women's. Well, okay, I'll try a few of them. And then somebody else said, you should have them in tank tops. You should do them in tanks. They'd be really, really neat. You know, black and, and red and white and all that. Okay, you you know, for the winter, you should have sweatshirts. <laughs> I feel like you know, uh, like a department store after a while. Yeah, wait a minute, that's not really. But anyway, to get back to your question, yes, <laughs> yes, I do have a website. It's www.hellozombie. H e l i. Z O M B I E. So if you uh, just Google me, Jim Crut, K R U T, or Hello Zombie, H E L I Z O M B I E, uh, it'll take you to the site. And on there, I've got you know the photos. I've got a um, couple magazine articles. It was fascinating at the end of last year uh, when I w when I was in Germany. They handed me a copy of a magazine that uh, I'd done an interview with sometime before. That came out. There was an interview in a Japanese magazine that just came out that same month. In, in Gettysburg area where I live, they did a feature on me in a Gettysburg-based magazine. And then I got one from Spain from an interview wow. there, Sci-Fi World. 
Uh, that's in Spanish, one's in Japanese, one's in German. But you can look at the pictures. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> so they could be saying anything they want about you, but... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it just, in a sense, shows that there's a universality to the characters, to uh, to the films. And yes, the t-shirts are available on the website, www.hellozombie.com. <laughs> Buying one right now. I have it up. Oh, you have the site up? Okay. Yep. Ta-da. Now, are you getting the tank top, the sweatshirt? I'm the... getting the t-shirt for ladies, because there is a difference. Well, I'm all <laughs> out of the ladies ones, because they disappeared. And I decided I had to cut back. So I only have a, a few of the sweatshirts, but I have more of the t-shirts and tanks right now. I, I had to narrow the field. <laughs> you have to hire people after a while. To expanding. Well, and if you're traveling on a plane, uh, you, you, you load all this stuff up and your luggage gets lost, what do you do? You better carry a few photos with you. Yeah. Lost inventory, that's right. But for most of the conventions that were announced at and promoted at, probably 75% of the things we do autographs on are things that people sign, or, you know, that they have in their collection, that they bring posters, uh, laser discs, uh, DVDs, VC, you know, VHS tapes, everything imaginable they bring. So it's interesting to read the other names on it. And, uh, there, there's a certain reverence that they have. I'll tell you one more bad story. I don't know how much time we have, but I'll tell you one more bad story. We, you know, we, we typically don't have a limit, so, but go ahead. Well, I haven't even had any coffee yet. I'm still I know, come on, we need to But anyway. Do you want me to get you coffee? No, 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 no. Do you want to pause? I mean, I'm just talking about we, we can pause. You can do your one more story after this. Yeah, do you want to eat? No, no, no. Let's, let's go ahead and do it. We'll do it, and then we'll wrap it up. I forget what it was. What it was. Okay. Uh, oh. So, uh, in terms of things that people have collected, and they've gotten, like, Dario Argento from Italy, you know, as director, and they've got this on this, and they've got George Romero, and these are, like, becoming sacred names, and to have one of those on a poster or on a DVD is pretty impressive, and sometimes you can, you can tell the people who come so well prepared, they wait until there's nobody else at the table, and then they start to unwrap from tubes and things their their precious items and one one gentleman at a show i think it might have been saturday nightmares brought in this poster he had virtually everybody's name on it it was a, one of the original old 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 posters and he was just so careful you know making sure that nobody bumped it there was no coffee on the table you know no markers left open anything like that and i said you must be really into horror and you know, scary things. And he said, oh, yeah, he's got a whole collection of things, you know, and they're all horror-based. And I said, well, we're going to be extremely careful with this. He said, yes. So I said, where do you want me to sign? So I, I autographed the poster, you know, very slowly and deliberately. And I said, now we have to wait for that to dry before we close it up and fold it. Right? He said, Yes, I said, well, it's probably dry now. And I went to put my hand on it. He went, <laughs> and he freaked. And I said, now, come on now. You said you like horror. <laughs> that would be horrible. That would be horror right there. That's awesome. Fanboy's nightmare. That's so mean. We have to keep doing that. That's awesome. It's fantastic. It's not a bad story. It's a great story. Yeah, it is a great story. Uh, Jim, thank you so much for chatting with us here. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Oh, likewise.
it's great to have those stories there and uh, just kind of share a little bit of your involvement. Neat to see that you're still involved with the whole zombie genre. Uh, hey, as long as we're still walking and shambling along, zombie, <laughs> <be> zombie. <laughs> Thanks again for having me. Oh, yeah, thank you. So nice. It's been a pleasure. Really yeah. Thank you so much for visiting the Sci-Fi Diner. We hope you enjoyed the food, the service, and the conversations. If you'd like to share your thoughts regarding what we've talked about, or tell us what you're watching or reading, flip open your communicators and contact us at 1-888-508-4343 or click the SpeakPipe link at scifidinerpodcast.com or send an mp3 or typed email to scifidinerpodcast at gmail.com. You can also join the conversation on our Facebook fan page facebook.com slash sci-fi diner we'll share your thoughts on our listener feedback show if you'd like to support the diner beyond the conversation you can always throw some coins in the tip jar at sci-fi diner podcast.com
where there's a bunch 